This episode is brought to you by ABC. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. Andy finally becomes captain, and she's going to give it her all to be the best leader the station has ever seen. Will she succeed? Get ready for fiery new romances and high adrenaline rescues. Watch the Station 19 season premiere tonight at a new time, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Folks, we invite you to stand by for part two of our visit with Andrea Canny as she takes us back to her roots, past and present, at Kings Island, the first theme park home of Hanna-Barbera characters. When you were working at Kings Island, I mean, you didn't think, oh, I'm, someday I'll be at Disney. It sort of just happened. But mm-hmm. the initial training that you got there, have you reflected on the fact that you really got a lot of the techniques that you learned? And when you were working at Disney, were there memories of Kings Island that came in handy? Absolutely. A hundred percent. I will always give King's Productions credit for teaching me how to be a professional in the entertainment industry because King's Island was run by King's Productions. So it was a professional production company. You had stage managers, technicians who were qualified to be a stage technician, great musicians, great fellow performers, dancers, singers, you know, the best of the best, stellar directors, choreographers, producers, And you learned to show up on time. You learned to hit your mark. You learned how to take a note. I learned how to dance. I'll never forget, Mark Eckhoff and I were both singers first. And I didn't know how to dance other than just doing whatever they asked me to do in the audition. I wasn't a technical dancer. But when we got our first indoor show at the American Heritage Theater, Jean Ann Ryan was the choreographer. And she was a big deal because the intended trajectory for performers in the 80s at Kings Island was, or in Cincinnati was, you get a job at Kings Island, and then hopefully the next step would be to get into the indoor show, because that meant you didn't have to wear somebody else's shoes from the last season. You got your (laughs) own new pair of shoes. And then the next step was to go work on a cruise ship for Jean Ann, and then Broadway was the last step, right? That was everybody's dreams. So to have Jean Ann teaching us this show, Mark and I were, I remember distinctly, we were on stage left. She goes out in her brick red leather pants, her fur coat, and her stilettos, and she goes out and she starts spouting out all these ballet terms, you know, pas de beret and blah, 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 all these things that we looked at each other with tears in our eyes because we were like, if we don't know how to learn how to do this, we're going to lose our jobs because there's a filing cabinet back there with resumes and headshots of people who were just as good as us that want this job. Mm -hmm. So we learned, we worked our tail off. We learned how to work hard on our breaks, to work hard when we go home. I learned how I learn that I'm not really great at sequence like a lot of dancers are because they were raised picking that sequence up fast. But once I know what it is, I'm your most consistent performer. I will always do it the same way. I will always hit my mark. And I learned that that was a plus. And then I became a swing. So I had to learn how to chart. I learned how to take on different roles. I had to learn how to do a cartwheel and a round off. In fantasy, I had to do a trapeze. (laughs) 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 Things that I would never imagine doing. Like, what? But it was a swing. I remember when they said, okay, well, here, here's a round off. And I was like, oh, I can't do a round off. Sarah looked at me and she said, you're a swing, right? And I said, yeah. And she goes, you have to learn how to do a round off. So swing is anything they need you for. Well, you learn all the women's roles, mm-hmm. all the tracks, just in case somebody was injured 
or if everybody was healthy, then you would have a swing schedule. So that would be like, okay, there's five shows today. The first show I'm swung out to take notes or whatever. The second show I'm doing track A, I'm third show I'm doing track B, fourth show I'm doing track D, and then I'm swung back out on the fifth show. You can have a schedule or you can also be there just in case of emergency, but you have to learn them all yourself. What's charting? Charting is like you'll have a Xerox rendering of the stage Mm -hmm. and it'll have the numbers as well across the front of the stage. So when you're saying you're hitting your mark or hitting your number, it's like the stage is... You have to look at it in your mind as a grid mm-hmm. so you know the depth of it. And usually with that, you go by the wings, those black curtains mm-hmm. that come down. So that's how you kind of gauge the depth. And then across the front of the stage, you have numbers. The very center of the stage is zero. And then it goes usually two, four, six, eight, even numbers all the way out to typically anywhere up to 18, mm-hmm. depending on how large your stage is. And that way, the choreographer can tell you, okay, when you're doing this dance move, you're on four, or you and your partner are splitting four. And then you move over to here that your next thing is you go diagonally up to the third wing, but you're on eight on stage right. So as a swing, you really need to chart all that so you have a reference. So basically, I would have a swing binder that had a bunch of Xeroxes of the stage, and then I would pencil in everybody's track Mm -hmm. of what their movements were. So if I had to review it, I could easily just go back and look at the book. And actually my friend, Jeff Whiting, who was one of my first quasis, quasimodos in Hunchback, Jeff Whiting's created a software that most of Broadway shows use now for charting. It's called Stage Right. Stage Right. Jeff Whiting created Stage Right, which is two words, right as in, I'm writing something. Oh, yeah. A lot of Broadway shows, most of them use it now because it's a digital resource where choreographer, dance captain, swings, understudies can all have access to be able to review or change or to document, you know, original choreography and things like that. And the quality was so high. The expectations were so high that there have been so many people that have gone on to really amazing careers like Elton Fitzgerald White. I did Kings Island with him. I did uh, CCM, UC Singers with him. That's the Cincinnati's College Conservatory of Music. And he's the longest running Mufasa on Broadway in wow. Lion King. Wow. And he wrote a book and Disney has him touring all over the place, doing singing engagements. He's now a keynote speaker. But, you know, we were in Live at the Palace together and we were in UC Singers together. And tons of people have gone on to really great, great careers So I guess King's Productions had a reputation for being a really good place to do stage because of the quality. They they really did. And Jack Rouse, who was in charge of King's Productions, he eventually left King's Productions and created his own company. And so JRA, which is Jack Rouse and Associates, which in the last, I think, two years or so, it was acquired by RWS, Mm -hmm. which is a company out of New York. JRA is based here in Cincinnati, but they do tons of work for helping theme parks around the world just build everything, like the design, the layout, the entertainment and stuff. RWS is more on the entertainment side, but now that they acquired JRA, they're going to be able to branch out into the whole industry of creating a theme park from ground up. It's a very influential place that deserves to be known as that. It really was. I would not have the same career had I not had that training. Show up on time, do a great job. And on time means at least a half hour early. 
<laughs> That's the way June Foray was. You're late if you're not 30 minutes early. That's yeah. the way she felt. Uh, it was at her memorial, and that's what the first thing everybody said. She was always on time. And I think that's one of the reasons she worked so much. Besides being a professional, being pleasant to work with and all, but being dependable is a huge, huge thing. Mm -hmm. What was the date you were there? 1985 through 89. The Hanna-Barbera land was not there anymore. Was it Smurfs then? I think I was there for both of it because I do remember the Smurfs. And funnily enough, the green room that I'm in now, because I'm doing the nativity show at Kings Island now at Winterfest, the green room is the old ride. You yeah. mean the old Hanna-Barbera ride that became the Smurf ride? The old Hanna-Barbera ride building is now a Peanuts. They have boo blasters in front. That's, a, I believe, just a building that they built. But then they've got the Peanuts stage where they have a Peanuts show. Mm -hmm. That's a wide open space. And then our green room in the back is just the back end of the ride building. So they've transformed it out of a ride into... A stage for peanuts to do because now it's Snoopy Planet, I believe, is what they call that whole area, and it's all peanuts Snoopy centric. Yeah, I think they went through several permutations, and there may have been a Scooby Doo monster ride after that that happened to well, that as well. The Great Pumpkin Roller Coaster, right next to that ride building, mm -hmm. I think used to be the Scooby Doo coaster yes yes like a starter coaster for kids mm -hmm. i remember the smurfs because that was big back then but you do have some memories of the walk around characters oh yeah i mean some of my dear friends were friends with scooby-doo and you know snoopy scooby-doo and i like to have long deep conversations <laughs> well one thing it helped us park because in the big parking lot, they used to have sections based on the Hanna-Barbera characters. So, mm -hmm. like, where are you parked today? Oh, I'm in Captain Caveman 5. Oh, I love that. It's like Disney has, like, Mini 2 and something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that was one of the perks of that and the parking. But my favorite memory was one day I was just hanging outside of the theater. It was in between the American Music Theater and the Fest House. And there was a Jabberjaw that... And you had to be kind of small to be Jabberjaw. And the Jabberjaw was standing on a curb, standing completely still. So Jabberjaw's just frozen there on the curb. And all of a sudden, a little kid and their family comes walking by. But the little kid is a little bit farther away from the family. And I was like, I could just smell the shenanigans coming. Like I was like, <laughs> what's going to happen? Something's going to go down and I have to witness it. Or else it'll be like a tree falling in the woods. <laughs> I'll just say this. Jabberjaw basically ate the kid's head. Like literally. As the kid oh, was like, like those sketches with the jaws on Saturday Night Live. You know, Candygram. The way that yeah. used to happen. Yeah, yeah that sort of mock. <laughs> and it was the highlight of my year. It was so hilarious. Well, well now you got to tell me what happened after. What did the oh, Remember, I think I fell on the floor. Was just <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> it was either going to be the parents and the kid were very upset or, and that boy has grown up to be. <laughs> <laughs> a marine biologist. <laughs> Only at King's Island, because I can't see Baloo doing that. Or oh, Baloo's face wouldn't do that. But, well, he must have had the ability. He must have had the mouth, the Jabberjaw yeah. ability. And oh. it was a small enough kid. Not like small to like really traumatize the kid. Yeah. But it was hilarious. I just thought that <laughs> it was It was hilarious. done with love, you know. Oh, of course. Love and shark slobber.
Hanna-Barbera characters are different than Disney characters, and I've said this several times. First of all, because they were ubiquitous growing up in your house. You didn't have Cartoon Network and cable and streaming and accessibility by uh, physical media. You didn't see the Disney characters as often, and you didn't see the features as often. Mickey wasn't everywhere. He was in the park. You'd have to go see him in the park, mm-hmm. but he wasn't everywhere like he is now every morning and stuff. But Hanna-Barbera characters were on TV almost all the time, mm-hmm. uh, at least weekly. Their characters went to shopping centers, went to civic centers, went... The Disney characters would do very wonderful, like, visits to hospitals, but they weren't going to do an opening of a Kmart. I don't know that Hanna-Barbera's did, but they were much more accessible, even in real life. We know they're cartoons. We embrace that they're cartoons. It's wonderful that they're cartoons. There is no more of that aura. It's a different kind of special. And it's interesting when you talked about that, that just brought a memory back to me that I can't believe I forgot that I ever did this. But King's Productions also did the DOD, the Department of Defense shows, you know, USO shows for Mm -hmm. soldiers. So some people went off and I always wanted to do that, but I never got asked to do that. But they also did mall shows. Yeah. And so I remember I did a mall show in Schenectady, New York, Mm -hmm. where I had to travel with the costumes and I had to make sure that they get to the mall and rehearse them into the little show and teach them the show. And gosh, it's amazing that I forgot I had done that, but yeah, that they definitely go do mall shows to bring the brand out to the general public. Mm -hmm. Disney started to do that more later. I mean, I saw Pete's dragon show in a mall and when Playhouse Disney was big, our children loved Out of the Box, and the two stars of mm-hmm. the show were there, and the different characters in a very big mall in uh, Altamont. But back in the day, it wasn't quite so common to mm-hmm. see the Disney characters elsewhere. When you're talking about TV, I remember, like, Yogi and Boo Boo. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was huge. They were in the park as well. As kids, we always would say, pick a Nick basket. Yep. We knew it was Picnic, but we would prefer to say Picnic Basket. Yeah. And Hey Boo Boo. It just became a part of our vernacular. Then there was Snagglepuss or whatever that would be like Exit Stage That was Snagglepuss was Exit Stage Right, Heavens to Murgatroyd, all those. Yeah, there were yeah. catchphrases like crazy. We loved those. I still will say things like that. Exit Stage Left or Exit Stage Right. And... What was the dog that had that horrible oh, laugh? There were several. There was Precious Pup, but most famously, it was Muttley, and then later Mumbly. But Muttley was on Wacky Races and stuff, and it was always Don Messick mm-hmm. doing that laugh. That signature laugh. I can't, I can't do it, but everybody loved that. They were not above using the character again. And you know, when as kids, we were thrilled with that. It's like, oh, it's that dog yes. again. <laughs> I loved it. I literally, you know, on Sundays, we would watch The Wonderful World of Disney or whatever, But we never went to the park. I never set foot on Disney property until my first rehearsal for Beauty and the Beast. So I grew up watching the movies and actually having the albums, you know, Mm -hmm. because like one of my favorites that my goal in life now, I want Disney to do Sword in the Stone on Broadway and I need to be Mad Madam Mim. Oh, you'd be great. And you know, that would make a wonderful show. Oh my gosh. Wouldn't it be great? It's just, it's my dream. I want to be her so badly. It would be the trifecta from Princess to Gargoyle to Mad Madam Men. <laughs> yeah. Just a fabulous role. 
I played that album all the time because it was a storybook inside. That was a panorama album that popped up. Yes, yes, you're right. And it's probably downstairs in the basement right now. Mm -hmm. So that was how Disney influenced me then was just the content. But I never grew up thinking it was like Tinkerbell was real or a magical thing like that. I spent much more time watching the Hanna-Barbera characters. Yeah, that's the influence that it had. And then the fact that they were an integral part and probably a major draw to getting people to Kings Island Park initially. And they were also being cross-promoted. And I think after the second season, the Banana Splits were there. And the Hocus Pocus Park episode of Saturday Superstar Movie. Kings Island was being slipped into a lot of things. Mm -hmm. And the famous Brady Bunch and Partridge Family episodes. So for those of us who could make it to Cincinnati, the name of the show that you're singing in is... Songs of the Nativity. They build us a lovely stage that's like a manger. It's brown and it's got... The, I was going to say characters, the, <laughs> it, you know, Jesus and Mary. Mary. <laughs> now that was Mary. Rhoda. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I turn around and off mic, I look at her and I'm like, hey, Mary. <laughs> this is all contemporary, really great arrangements mm-hmm. that they've chosen for the show. The music is really great. And we're in contemporary outfits as well. It's not, we're contemporary shepherds, as they like to say. Ah. So we don't have the ba sheep. The crook. We don't have the crook, yeah. Ah. In some of the versions that are driving contemporary Christian tempos, I always just love to think in my head that little baby Jesus in his little swaddling diaper, that he is just killing the drum kit back there. <laughs> That's just if you anybody know, could. Yeah, you know, and he's just like I am the little drummer boy. You That's know, right? Because let's mm-hmm. face it, music is beyond. I mean, as a singer, music is the sort of thing that's beyond yeah. our, almost our comprehension of why music does what it does. Yeah. And people who know me know that religion is not my bag, but I'm not here to tell anybody that they shouldn't believe in it. And honestly, I was raised with this music. So the music, the melodies and these songs, I like them. They've been a part of my Christmases ever since I was a child. So they're really beautiful tunes. And, you know, like, Mary, did you know? I, oh, that's a good song. Song. Yeah. Yeah. My solo is my least favorite Christmas song, but this arrangement is a Carrie Underwood, so I love it now. It's uh, Do You Hear What I Hear. Oh, really? See, now that's the thing, is the arrangement means everything. Because, yeah, my favorite version of that is by the Mike Sam Singers. Their vocal performance every single time just gets to me. It has to do with how the song is done. Yeah, they really chose some beautiful, beautiful songs and all the arrangements I really like. And the people in the show are really talented. We've got a great sound person, Ganesh. And the majority of the shows are at night. The only show that is in any form of daylight is on the weekends. We do a 4.30. Otherwise, it's at night and everything's lit up. And the Eiffel Tower is made into a Christmas tree with the lights. So it's once they do the Christmas tree lighting, that's on. So it's just, it's really pretty. It's cold, mind you. Mm. Is it snow in the park? If it snows, it's like last night, our final show at 9 o'clock, we just did what we call park and bark. We went out on stage with umbrellas and stood there. We didn't do any of our blocking and sang. We made it into the fourth song, but halfway through, they cut it because it started to rain harder. So, and we left the stage. But if it's snowing, you're still going to get wet. But if it's not a storm, I imagine they're going to want us to continue. And they're okay with us doing a park and bark. So we just have to bundle up. We've got, you know, long johns on and... (laughs) Gloves and scarves and hats. And wow. it was a little windy last night towards the end. So it got a little chilly willy. 
It's a beautiful show. It really is nice. And I guess they used to be farther back in the park where it was more difficult to find you. But now we're right there in Snoopy Planet. We're right in front of the Snoopy bumper cars, uh-huh. right next to Boo Blasters. It's fun to see the kids jumping around. And yeah, you know, it's so funny because I hadn't sung in a long time. So in rehearsals, I'm like, ooh, I'm having to blow some cobwebs off these chords. And then once I got into the runs, you know, I actually do it with an audience. And one of the singers was like, your solo sounds so good. And I was like, it's probably because there's an audience now. Like mm. it, I'm a true extrovert in that I derive my energy from other people. So now that I've got an audience, it flavors my performance. And it's literally just an energy. I'm not asking somebody to clap or anything like that. It's literally just having a human energy there. Mm-hmm. It seeps into your being. Mm-hmm. It's like and oil of Olay. It's it, it skin drinks it in. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! Yes, it's true. It's true. I can smell it right now that you said that. I can smell it. You have had this fantastic, astonishing, and historic career, and here you are back home again in your hometown, in your home park. That sort of ignited everything that came later you're still raring to go still things coming it's very very inspiring and it's very wonderful and it's it's totally expected from somebody like you andrea you're going to keep on going though i appreciate that yeah i'm really enjoying being able to sing again and sing such great arrangements and with very talented people to blend with i've just always really loved winterfest there's such a great holiday feeling to it so i'm trying to soak it up you know We're doing weekends until December 15th, and then it'll be daily through New Year's Eve. There's so much more that we could talk about because you and I could go talking for hours. I just want to thank you so much, Andrea Canny, for being with us. And thank you for sharing all of this experience with us. want to wish a Merry Christmas. want to wish a Happy Holiday to everyone. And hope that you like the podcast or say that you want to subscribe. That's a wonderful thing, too. Thanks, Sandra, for being on the show. Thank you so much, Greg. I really had a great time. And as always, you and I could talk for hours, and we have, and we do. (laughs) Please give the family my love, and thank you so much for having me on. It was an honor. Oh, thank you, Andrea. And thanks to all of you for listening, and hope that you'll be listening again with us. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed the fantastic world of Hannah and Barbara with Greg Airbar. Please join us again, and many thanks for listening.